0: This is a dialogue with those who are beacons of creative culture and insight, methodologies, and practice. For our first conversation, I have Jan Orvid here with me. Uh, The work Jan does is to build and coach design teams for agencies and product companies, and those teams are centered on people, on humans, both as creators and receivers of the work created. Beyond that, Jan's thoughts on human-centered practices are off-sighted in cultivating a creative culture. And I'm, of course, proud to call him a colleague and a friend. Hello, Jan. Hello, Justin. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. How yes. are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. How are things going in Sweden? Pretty good. It's a sunny, gorgeous day, so uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy. I wish I could say the
0: same for Chicago, so that's, that's great to hear. <laughs> So um, if you don't mind, I'll just uh, jump right in with uh, kind of a, a, a big umbrella question which couches um, many of the things we'll be talking about today. And uh, that's how do you feel uh, Swedish culture has ultimately influenced you and in, uh, design uh, the work you do and as well as business?
1: That is a huge question. Um, good one. Um, I think the thing that I I come back to, especially when I work with clients in other countries and when I've lived abroad as well, is is the whole idea of equality um, and flat hierarchies or sort of flat organisations. Uh, Sweden, for better or for worse, has a very uh, has a very uh, 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 natural way of looking at, at work and sharing information, and and, and uh, usually it means that people aren't necessarily held back in their views everyone is is open everyone is invited to collaborate and even if they're not they do because that's just the natural state of things so i think that the, the equality aspect is, is what really sort of still fuels the way that i work
0: that's tremendous i mean that that's something that you know, it sounds so simple, but, um, you know, my, my roots, are, of course, are in you know, U.S. Uh, business and culture, and that, that's not something to take for granted at all.
1: No, it's very true. It's really, really true. When I, when I lived in, and worked in San Francisco for many, many years, uh, that when I worked with European companies uh, and Swedish, Swedish clients as well, they would actually promote that very fact that they were, for example a British company like Huddle or a Swedish company who where you had, you know, six weeks off and all of those types of things. So right, it's right. it's kind of fun. It's, it's it's fun using the differences.
0: I would imagine. Um, it, you know, I, I'm going to kind of transition into a Swedish word here that I'm going to butcher, so please uh, correct me at your whim. Uh, Jan Talagan, am I close there?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm so sorry that you know about it. Uh <laughs> Yeah, Jante Lagen, it's almost impossible to translate, but explaining it, uh, it essentially means that you shouldn't really think that you're something special. You're not above anyone else. And if you say it in sort of a a nice, charming way, it sounds quite nice, but Jante Lagen, Lagen meaning law. Uh, that's not really how it's how it's been used over the ages. It's it's more about it's more of a put-down uh, it, it's been used by by people to really just sort of Silence or discourage the people that that want something different that want something else um, And it's it's been a huge negative. I think it's something that's definitely held people back uh, Historically, luckily I do think it is it's going away for a lot of people. It's it's a historical Anomaly this jantelagen thing seemed funny. Ah uh-huh. doesn't apply to my generation And I think that's actually true. And I think in part that is because the world has moved on and Also in part because I think more of the world has moved to Sweden. So it's it's a very positive effect of, of people just meeting with mingling with working with uh, people from other parts of the world different mindsets different experiences and you definitely see that among the sort of the twenty somethings in uh, in Sweden today.
0: Is there any um, positivity at, at the root of that? I mean, you you of course mentioned you know it's kind of about putting people down, but uh, at at its core, um, you know, that no one person is kind of greater than anyone else. Do you do you think that's still kind of a, a part of that that mindset?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the the humility that comes with it. You know, in, in the most positive sense of the word. Is, is great. Uh, just sort of regardless of your former role, the fact that you're you're both people, you're both humans, and and, and you talk, you interact, uh, and your ideas and your input is just as valid as someone who you know happens to have a, a snazzier title on their business card. Right. Um, that that sort of that aspect is not there. So no, there there's definitely positive things about young Plagen as well, and and I think and I hope that as... As a nation or as a region here in the here in the Nordics, that we we, we maintain that, uh, even though the the law aspect of Young Logan hopefully is, is sort of going away and, and at least allowing people to 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 not have to worry about the, the negative aspects of it.
0: Sure, sure. So I I just want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, and that's that you you've worked in both um, you know U.S. and Scandinavian markets. Uh, Sweden, of course, you you mentioned San Francisco. Between the two cultures, because there's, of course, a a distinct cultural difference there, what what Mm -hmm. kind of core cultural differences, um, I'll go back to business again, have you noticed between those two markets?
1: So I left Sweden about almost 20 years ago now, and I really loved the, the sort of excitement that I felt in California. Like everyone sort of dug the fact that you you were doing something, you're doing something interesting. Um, it was okay to fail. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, moving on. Um, and everyone just sort of wanted to get things done, that the speed of things, I absolutely loved that because while well, those were the, the positives then, I, I didn't really see that on this market um, in Sweden or, or in, in London where I've also spent a lot of time, uh, lived and worked. Um, I think that the life-work balance, though, is a lot healthier on this side of the Atlantic, mm-hmm. this side, uh, the, the European side of things. Um, so working longer hours or you know being more on at work doesn't mean that you, you do better work or that you even have a more valid output. It just means that you spend more time at work. Um, and, and sometimes grumpy, grumpy friends uh, <laughs> in the U.S. will point out, well, you, you just don't have the same impact and I think that's very debatable because if you look at what Sweden has achieved as a as a nation in terms of global fashion music gaming technology design human rights food I mean it's 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 tremendous there, there's nine million of us mm-hmm. uh, still had this impact and that's without working around the clock so I think every country every region in the world has massive massive pluses going for it for them but it's about allowing yourself to embrace that at the right time in your own career, in your own development. And I think that's, that's the most important thing. I couldn't have imagined staying in Sweden uh, at the time that I left, just as now I can't imagine moving away from here, because things here are really fantastic in terms of what's happening in the industry and how it relates to the rest of the world
0: that's very well said um and, and one thing you know that i experienced in going from a career and uh between tech and, and agency environments uh in in the u.s was when i first worked for a swedish firm that it hadn't relocated to um to the states and um, that mindset of the last one out the door has the most value or the last one out the door is clearly the one who's working the hardest and that's kind of a uh, a, a, a cultural staple of US uh, businesses that that didn't apply when I worked at the Swedish firm that was like the biggest revelation to me and again you know now looking back that's like the most basic human centered uh, obvious thing that you should not have to worry about but it just was like you know beaten into my subconscious that that was my value.
1: Mm. I'm glad you've seen the light my friend. <laughs>
0: Uh, yes, yes, my uh, my ulcer is also glad that I've seen the light. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so to that to that point, the, uh, in terms of these little things um, that we can kind of seize upon to um, to you know make us feel invested in culture, how do you make sure at the different firms that you've worked at? How do you make sure people know that they can seize upon these little things throughout the day? And it's a term I use in, in the book called the act of a linger. How do you make sure people know that they can, uh, you know, pause to have a conversation and, and and not feel like they have to run back to their desk or, or actually enjoy their coffee and talk to someone and get uh, a value about, you know, um, things they're working on or how their family is doing? How do you make sure people know they can seize those things having worked in the U.S. market?
1: I think a, a very large part of it is not making that big of a deal out of it because having a moment to reflect or, or just having this 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 uh, this this time to yourself to do something a little bit different to, to break the monotony it it's a very intuitive human thing we we all do it unless someone tells us that we can't we, we simply do it so it's, it's one of those uh, cliches sort of leading by example um, but it's also sort of encouraging other people to do it and show how well it works. Like if someone comes in for an interview, it would be quite silly to go and sit in a conference room because conference rooms don't really say that much about the place you're coming to interview at. So, you know, why not go for a walk? Why not go to a coffee shop? Maybe we'll run into another team member who sits there. So without having made a big deal out of it, you get a sense that, okay, it's, it's okay to do these things it's okay to 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 live to be alive even when yours are quote unquote at work
0: yeah yeah absolutely i mean uh just in the, in the times you and i have gone to coffee shops and worked i mean or or had conversations about work or creativity or inspiration just there's that um again i reference this in the book that just enough noise uh aspect of a a, 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 you know a cafe that's conducive to work that kind of helps the way you think or the way you're charged and you know we were talking about business uh in the past or or, or design and and people just kind of chime in and, and you know lend their business card or lend their thoughts and you're you're establishing contacts you're you're you know regenerating your energy and uh like you said just just the notion of being able to get up and go to work from a coffee shop is something to you know not be trivialized
1: exactly and I think uh, when you lead teams when you build teams which I've been doing for for some time now it's it's the one thing though that you have to do is that if you believe in this you have to also be willing to take the uh, uh, the rubbish uh, coming from potentially higher ups in any organization um, but I do like to avoid the uh, the conversation about what why a place is why someone should work in a place because it's there. And I'd like to turn that around and sort of take the argument to uh, explain why it would be better to sit in an office to do X, Y, Z as opposed to in a different place. And once you sort of move into that type of mindset where you're actually talking about the pros and cons of different places, then you're definitely looking at at it the right way. And that can also help um, the management team to sort of justify um, to themselves and, and to the people that they report to why a company is allowed to have this way of working why a creative culture is not something you just sort of stick on a label uh, it's it's actually something that you live and do
0: right I mean that that also leads to a bigger point in that some businesses in totality have foregone the brick-and-mortar uh, aspect of business and they just work remotely completely and then some are completely, you know, tied to the office and, and, you know, kind of frown upon anyone leaving and working uh, from a coffee shop remotely. I kind of feel like there's a sweet spot in there and that, like you just cited, sometimes there is value to being in a a central environment and drawing energy from others in an office and absolutely sometimes there's value to working remotely and getting charged, uh, you know, kind of away from the viewport.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that that there's never a an absolute there's never a black and white way of looking at things uh, if if you do that and you work in creative industry uh, or in a creative culture well you're probably not doing yourself much of a favor because creative culture is not about the black or white it is about the nuances it's, it's about listening understanding it's about essentially it's about being human and looking at what works and what doesn't without any preconceived notions right so that sounded incredibly pretentious I realized that True. <laughs>
0: No, I don't. No, I don't think at all. I think that's um, it. Actually, is a perfect segue into my next uh, point. So, inspiration away from the viewport um, is an entire chapter of the book, and it's something we just kind of touched on. Um, you um, are, have a phenomenal sense there in terms of taking things from the tangible world uh, and reinforming them back into our digital work, our digital world. Um, for example, I, I reference, um, you know, you, you had cited taking people to a paper cut uh, magazine shop in, in Stockholm, which is an absolutely phenomenal place. And, and the level of detail there, the level of curation and how people carefully select things, of course, impact and directly reference the work we do in our, in our digital lives about how we have to be very careful and mindful of every detail towards the end result of a product. Can you talk a little bit about that, your methodologies in that sense?
1: Yeah, that one really grew out of, um, I think, my own shortcomings in not always being able to verbally express what I think is important. So I can talk about quality and paying attention to detail as, as much as I'm able to, but that might still not deliver the, the result that, that we might need as a design team, for example. So mm-hmm. then going to a place like PaperCut. Um, which is like you said which is a highly curated magazine and, and, and bookshop and just spending some time there uh, looking at how are things displayed why are these things displayed together how do people move through this space what, what 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 do they do when they pick something off the shelf does it make them linger do they instantly throw it back how how do people interact with each other And when you bring a team into a space like that and you start noticing these things and talking about these little things, instantly you've, you've, you've actually conveyed the whole idea of, of attention to detail, to curation, to being selective, that choices, actual conscious choices uh, lead to actual results. A magazine shop's a great place. I, um, we spent some time at a coffee roasters. We talked a lot about coffee, I realized that, now, but um, we spent time at a coffee roasters as well with, with one team. Um, and just looked at if you use exactly the same coffee beans but you tweak the grinder or you tweak the speed at which you pour the coffee it's gonna be a completely different result and of course bringing your clients into that environment as well has a huge huge impact huge impact
0: so for the for the roaster that example that you just cited it's, is it more where you, you're, you're specifically talking about the process there of the bean selection and you, you, you take that back to the office and you, you kind of directly um, try to make an analogy of how that informs digital work? Or is it more of like a, air quotes, spiritual fulfillment of, you know, like an ah kind of moment that these things I've just seen and I can kind of go back and slowly let it wash over me and I, I can, I'm, I'm more recharged about the work I do?
1: I like to keep it quite... Um quite factual, quite practical, quite hands-on. So with, with, with uh, the coffee roaster, the thing that we, uh, not my, me, myself, but the, the people in the team kept coming back to was sort of paying attention to everything in the whole process from when you open the bags of, of um, um, unroasted beans to when they go into the roaster, the time they spend in there, uh, the amount of air um, airflow. All of these things that you stay on top of something for the whole process is something that came out of that, that visit in a, in a very, very positive way. And of course, it was a little bit easier to, to refer to that as well, because there are certain aspects of, of any work that you do um, that's not digital, uh, which, is, which is that real true sort of, you know, holding it in your hands. How does it feel? What's it like? What what do I want to do with it once I'm done with it? You know, what, Do I want to put it down? Do I want to put it in my pocket? Uh, trying to also bring that into digital work is incredibly important. Um, and I think that's why a certain level of tactility, I don't know if that's an English word or not, um, but for things to be truly tactile um, is something that you, you would want to refer to as well.
0: I think the value of experiences like that are, are, you know, kind of beyond articulation and having worked in environments before where, you know, these uh, these air-quote simple things that we're referring to would not even be in the realm of possibility to kind of take a team to or, you know, dare I say, integrate a client to, you know, not even within the realm of possibility to, to take advantage of. I understand that and you understand that many, many people understand that because they've worked in environments before where they know those things aren't possible so how do we then take this, these notions and, and kind of translate them to people who are fresh out of school or you know, have made a, a career change and have moved over to digital or, or experience work or product design? Um, how, if they don't have a direct comparison to negative environment versus a true creative culture, how do we make sure these people understand the value of you know, kind of what they're getting out of it? Or, or, or do we have to translate that?
1: I don't think we need to translate it to be honest Um, if a very positive experience is someone's first experience that will stay with them forever and ever just as the experience that you and I might have had uh, at the first agency that we were good or bad stays with us what I do think is important is to make sure that regardless of where one is in one's career especially if you're, you're sort of newly minted out of Um, design school for example that however you feel about something however you experience something that is just as valid as if you're someone who's been doing this for a long long time one of the worst things that happen in the workplace is when people by themselves or they're encouraged to sort of you know shut up and not act on or react to things that are going on just because they're new new in the role or, or new in the industry, we're, we're all humans. Um, if it's day two out of design school and you feel something is, is fantastic, it's probably fantastic. If it feels like it's rubbish, it probably is rubbish because it's not that complicated. It's all these constructs of hierarchy and time, etc., that that cause us to go along with or buy into things that we like or don't like.
0: Very valid. And uh, I've perhaps over-worried um, in my career about, you know, if I, if I brought someone on who's kind of fresh out of school, like over-communicating uh, or or making sure people understand uh, the value that they're getting out of things. But in, in many ways, looking at through things with the human-centered lens, we, we very likely don't have to do that. Like you just said, people organically understand, you know, when they're getting value out of something or, or uh, if a company is even pandering to them or, You know kind of disguising a perk uh you know like um uh you know if you work through 8 p.m we'll you know we'll pay for cabs or if you you know are working through the weekend we'll have somebody come you know and, and clean your house for you um those things you know people people aren't stupid and they can ultimately tell you know if they've been in the industry for a week or for 10 years if a company is you know ultimately trying to uh you know, uh, indirectly translate overexertion or, or you know, uh, the work-life balance into a, a positive when it's clearly, you know, at their detriment.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also those things about, you know, where you are in life. I, I love doing all-nighters, double all-nighters when I was 22. Now I'm not 22 and I don't love doing double all-nighters but that really doesn't have anything necessarily to do with, uh, with, um, with, the, uh, with the clients I work with. Um, that's about me and that's just as valid as anything else. So again, like you said, it, it comes quite sort of naturally how one views things and, and all of these views are, are equally okay. So to the point of
0: your, your career um, and the, and the, the length uh, uh, and across the different Engagements you've worked in agency side, studio side, uh, product side, tech side. On the latter end of that spectrum, tech side, um, how have you felt creative culture in that sector differs from the rest? Or you know, if, if that's a leading question, does it differ? There's certainly, you know, some some notions out there that, that tech environments uh, are a bit different in terms of what, what is required or what is accepted in, in a culture. Do do you have any do you have any insights in that sense?
1: I don't think it differs, really. It, it has more to do with the state of mind of, of the people that that work in an organization. Uh, I've i I've worked with supposedly very creative companies uh, with, that have a gazillion designers and thinkers and researchers, and it's probably the most stifling, horrid uh, place I've, I've ever had to endure. Mm-hmm. And I've worked at uh, agencies that have a majority of backend developers who traditionally, as they say themselves, might not want to do certain other things and kind of want to focus on the code, which has been the most enabling and exciting places for a creative mind to do work. So I don't think that tech is any different from any other industry. People are different. Uh, If people are open, humble, uh, and want to get things done and care about collaborating, um, you can find that anywhere. Uh, and the opposite as well, unfortunately.
0: Sure. So to that point about some negatives being, or positives being omnipresent in the workplace, let's t- talk a little bit about ego in the workplace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is something that is something we've all dealt with. Uh, when, you know, Perhaps our own at some point, perhaps other people's uh, at other points. How have you worked with Disruptive forces in the past to ensure you know a creative culture isn't compromised or, or, or sullied beyond repair When it comes to ego because that that in, in the workplace, that's really a kind of a cancerous trait to, to have
1: Yeah ego um, Ego is 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 probably The most negative thing that you can find in a human being it is, it is worse than so many other things because ego drives people to act in certain ways. By far the best way of combating ego is to ask the question, why? Why do you feel that we need to do things that way? Why do you feel the right to say those things to people? Why do you put your own views in front of, uh, ahead of others. It's, it takes, it takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of, of, of being vulnerable when you approach ego. If you talk about what you see, how you feel, and what you actually need and tell people what you're actually after in that, in that situation, you do take a, a very, um, a very practical approach to communicating with people who have big egos and you also force them to justify their behavior. Of course, it's really difficult if you have a manager who has a massive ego and just treats people very, very poorly. But that still doesn't mean that you can't challenge them if for no other reason than that people with massive egos usually communicate incredibly poorly because it is all about them and what they see and it's not exactly helping you. So simply by asking people with huge egos to clarify things, you tend to get around to, to making them think a little bit about what they, how they actually act in the workplace. And sometimes they're a lost cause and then you just better go somewhere else because you're not there to feed their egos
0: I think there's a, a couple things. There are a few things there to kind of you know put put a shine a light on a bit. So, uh, to the point of seniority, eager, ego from a manager and a you know more junior level employee. If if a junior level employee is able to feel empowered to challenge what a manager says in, in a feedback session or or in any other way. I feel that's an immediate litmus test of a creative culture because if someone is communicating and design is not subjective, we're solving problems and and, and visual design or programmatic design we're solving problems and solutions in that sense are not subjective so anything that's given in a feedback sense should be predicated upon solving a problem and if a manager can be challenged and, and you know, they're, they're challenged upon sound logic and they're challenged upon something that would pause them to think and they can take that and, and have a dialogue about it, that to me is a litmus test of a creative culture and practice.
1: It, it most definitely is because it does go to the to the dark heart of the person with the massive ego.
0: Yeah, it most certainly does. And in some instances when... You know that it's clear that ego is a cancer, and it can't be. It's clear that you know that it's time to perhaps look at a different, um, a different role or a different change of setting or venue. And if ego is predominant, management or you know is driving the way that a company is run. And you know, one thing I've done in the book um, is kind of take uh, someone on their journey from their first day through. Uh, you know uh, the day-to-day to to away from the viewport and ultimately you know we have to be realistic if someone needs to look someplace else if someone needs to find a creative culture that is going to facilitate them doing their best work we kind of talk about giving people the tools to look elsewhere and and kind of find a place that is driven by humility and predicated upon everyone having their their own voice so i want to kind of advance ahead a little bit to the last chapter which is called your cultural match and in that chapter i reference your thoughts quite a bit because you know in, in, in a world in a time when I sound like an old man here but in a world in a time when <laughs> less human interaction is possible and I'm air quoting that and um, texting and online shopping and snapchatting and text you know when people are trying a bit more to uh, you know go go around human contact as the, the, the uh, desired norm dare I say your approach to Again, bring the human-centered aspect back into our relationships, and the and the way we create and the work we do and in our into the, the office environment and the dynamic there. It's a refreshingly anomalous approach to you know less human interaction as possible. And I want to talk about the knock knock approach. Um, and I, I think you know what I'm talking about already. Can you tell me a little bit about your methodologies there? About you know just cold contact going up to a door of a place or company you're interested in and knocking on the door. That is something that as an American or as, you know, is is kind of a a shocking thing. Um, Can you talk a little bit about
1: that? Absolutely. I, I, first of all, I love it that it's now called the knock knock approach. It sounds <laughs> very, very, you know, established, uh, which is great. Uh, it is. Uh, I'm sure we can, uh, we, you know, someone will study this a great length at some point. Uh, yes. To me, it, it is literally the the the, the sound uh, of my 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 knuckles uh, hitting the uh, the actual front door of a company, and uh, in, uh, in London uh, when I lived in London, uh, there was this this uh, this firm that I was. Uh, I was crazy curious about them, Um, like I've been uh, so many other places in the past. But this one, I I just didn't want to give up. I realized that they didn't respond to emails, it was possible to contact them if anyone from that that place spoke at an event. Uh, They would be, uh, you know, speedily put in a a, a car and driven off before the applause had stopped. It was that type of, of company. But they did really interesting work. They did really good um, um, good work. So uh, when I when I lived in London, I, I simply went over to where their office was and I knocked on the door. And it was it was strangely liberating um, because it was it was a way to to instantly get an idea of that company because when the door opened, there was a human being at uh, at the other end uh, or on the other side. Um, and I instantly saw the space. Uh, it was impo- it, it was impossible to not start having a conversation um, because it's only really in in cartoons that people slam the door uh, in someone's face when they knock on it. So we we were suddenly in a, in a, in a place where this company who do- didn't really want to talk to anyone and me who desperately wanted to talk to this company or uh, people at that company uh, we were we sort of had to face these two opposing, opposing views, um, and we did have a conversation, uh, and we did realize that there is no chance ever of us being able to do good work together. And there was nothing wrong with them or me, obviously. It was just one of those things where you do find out the real state of things, sometimes just by walking up to a door and knocking on it, or, or you know, poking something. And it's it's impossible. It's equally impossible to say that you should definitely go and knock on the door of every company that you want to meet. Because one, it's not practical. Two, you'd probably be arrested. Uh, <laughs> uh, but when you can, when you can sort of circumvent all these sort of non non person to person interactions, do because it'll it'll open it'll open in a new I still don't want to say open a new door because I was I'm waiting for you to take that cliche. one please I know it's all oh, horrible but it will open a new way of, of looking at things for you which is great
0: I think there's a value there as you just cited um, there's a value there either way either either you you knock on the door and, and you're let in and there, you have a, you know, a phenomenal dialogue and you learn that You know this could this could work, or you learn that you know it ultimately wouldn't have been you know the best the best fit. And there's truly a value there, either way. And like you said, it could be your physical knuckles on the door, or it could be you seeking out a contact um, uh, via a company's website after you've kind of ascertained their story um, and and seeing if there's an initial best fit there, and and reaching out to them in 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 that sense. I mean, you know, I've had that happen in the past where someone's walked into my office space cold and kind of had find, found my name on, uh, on my company's website and, you know, of course, on the receiving end, you're, you're thrown for a loop for a little bit, but you're genuinely curious uh, about this person That's who's awesome. coming and wants to wants to reach out and have a dialogue. I feel, I feel like it's a, it's, a, it's a tremendous sense of someone seeking out human contact and, 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 you know, a demonstrated interest that they have in the company.
1: And it is worth so much. I was at one point I was commissioning uh, a lot of photography work, and at an event, uh, a person, uh, hello, Hannah, came up and said, uh, uh, "Hey, I've been following you on Instagram for two years." Uh, Great. I wasn't quite aware of who that person was, but the fact that she was there and that she apparently taken interest in what I did, I mean, of course, that instantly put her at the top of the list of of photographers whose work I wanted to look at. Right. Because it's simple. Because it's human. Um, and going back to the to the agency afterwards where I, where I had well over 50 portfolios, physical and digital to look at, I, I put them all aside and I, you know, dropped her a, a quick message and, and sort of looked at her stuff instead. And it, it's the thing that, it's so important to remember that everyone, every agency, every company needs you. It's not like anyone can exist in a bubble. Everyone needs other people to come into their sphere, into their world, to deliver work, to share ideas, to invite them to something. No, no one exists on their own. I mean, Apple, Google, notoriously, incredibly difficult companies to, to, uh, to, to get to work for, with. but they also need you. They, in fact, they need you a lot more than you need them. And that goes for, for every company, for every agency.
0: One thing I want to transition to is you and I um, share a very similar notion about never settling in, in our careers or in, in terms of doing our best work.
1: I think there's two things. There's two different versions of never settling. Uh, one is the one that is directly harmful that it doesn't. Align with with your own views and some something. If you go work for a company, that turns out turns out um, that it has management that bullies you, that is sexist, racist, all of those things. Unless you actually like those things, which you probably hopefully don't. If you listen to to this podcast and read this book, um, I mean that's very clear. Like, do I stand up for 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 other people being treated this way if I'm not treated that way myself? Well. If it's a no, ne- yeah, never settle. Never settle for, for, for horrendous things like that. Then you move on. If it is going to work for a place where you see that things can be improved, it's not quite right, it's not quite what you hoped for, well, first of all, try and do something about it. You've been hired, hopefully, because you're really good at what you do. And with that comes the responsibility to actually improve to help to grow to change the things in that in that space if you're If you're always unhappy and you're waiting for other others to do things to please you uh, You probably w- won't have a very long or a very satisfying career So I think it when it's when things aren't quite right um, You shouldn't settle Because you probably have the power to do something about it
0: the writing the book was kind of culled from positive and negative experiences in my career and um you know i can tell the kind of the same you know in the thoughts that you've given me um you're kind of drawing from the same but that said you know if i feel like i had committed to never settling as kind of a benchmark uh, throughout my throughout my career things you know could have gone differently in some instances because my my best work was compromised or my my inspiration or my energy, you know, was thrown off course for, you know, large amounts of time. And when you kind of come away from a a place you're working and you kind of look at your portfolio or you look at your, you know, just do a self analysis and, you know, my work is, the work I did there really, I have nothing to leverage or I don't feel like I've evolved at all. Like, you know, there's certainly something there in terms of never settling to make sure that your career and your focus and your best work kind of never go off course.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where if you've actually tried, if you've really tried to bring about change to do fantastic things and it never ever is working, well yes, then you definitely should should move on um, because settling for something that isn't working is never a good thing but equally important to not jump to that too quickly and I think it's also incredibly important to look at what one does sort of from a micro perspective if if you always Share why you made the decisions that you did in for example your design work or in your writing if you show the pros and cons uh, if you feel that you have done everything that you could on behalf of, of a client's audience for example and It's still ignored or not acted on well you 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 haven't settled you have pushed for what's right, what's best. It it might not always lead to the end result, but allowing yourself to to acknowledge and give yourself a pat on the back for for not settling in those small moments is also incredibly important.
0: In closing, I'm just going to kind of open up the floor here, and um, anything that you feel you'd like to communicate or or you know kind of sum up.
1: There is there's one thing that I learned way too late myself, so I always talk about it uh, a lot, <laughs> which kind of goes counter to what it is. It's to listen. Always listen. Always, always, always listen to what other people have to say. Always learn. Always keep your mouth shut a little bit longer than you want to, uh, because that is by far the best way to grow and evolve as someone who does creative work.
0: Again, that's one of those simple things that, that, that sounds easy, but, uh, you know, it's very often easier said than done.
1: It is. And it's also one of those things that uh, you don't need to tell people that you're trying to listen more and talk less because then they'll never know.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks so much, Jan. I really appreciate this dialogue.
1: Thank you, Justin. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for doing this book. It is, I'm sure, a book that a lot of people will cherish and probably also share and reference quite a lot because it's it's done good.
0: Thanks very much, Jan. I appreciate that.